Welcome to What's NXT, the podcast about the best weekly wrestling television show, NXT. I'm Tristan Marsh. I'm Alec Basio. And this is What's NXT for episode 424, December 6th, 2017. Oh, I can't say 420 Blazes anymore. I want all the kids out there to say no. Say no to drugs there. Don't do the drugs there. Such as cocaine, pot, heroin, all that bad stuff. It's all bad. Now. I don't, I don't think so. I'm getting pretty good at that intro. Mm. Remember when we started and I had to take like 12 takes to do it? Have you got a stutter? Okay. Or sometimes it'll be like, what? NXT. <laughs> How you doing, Alec? I'm doing pretty good. Cool. You want to get some bullshit out of the way? Sure. Why not? Did you watch Raw this week? No. And I didn't even see any clips. Bad. You did it? No, I'm sure there was some good stuff. I did watch some prior Anthem properties, if that's what we're talking about, because I definitely watched some of that. That was fucking great. The dueling <laughs> promo between Bray Wyatt and Awoken Matt Hardy. I can't believe that I'm saying this, but I actually finally enjoyed part of a Bray Wyatt promo. The ramblings of a madman can be very dangerous, especially for those of you who listen. Due to my condition, I have laid dormant inside this vessel called Matthew Hardy. But now... His seriousness has become such a joke that pairing it with a complete joke is, like, perfect. I think it was actually a real stroke of genius, the way that they did it, especially with the cuts back and forth, and they're both laughing at the end. You left me with no choice. I send it you to... Deletion! They both just look crazy, but in in two different ways. <laughs> His dark, evil laugh, and then Matt Hardy's like Fran yes. Drescher laughs. I am definitely going to drop in the clip of, um, what's his name? Oh, shit. He made Citizen Kane. Uh, George, George Orwell? Yeah, George Orwell. <laughs> Orson Scott Card. The guy with the cheap wine. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. It's Orson Welles. Did you see any Smackdown? I did. I saw one clip of a backstage segment with Natalia and the welcoming committee. Oh, did you also see the riot squad in that clip? I saw them show up. Is that is that pretty much what happened? Or The riot squad had three separate promos on that show, and each one went about that well. Oof. Has anyone from Kentucky ever been in that little hippie granola state you call? Yeah, they are not giving them good shit to work with. And lastly, did you watch 205 Live? No. I should have, though, because that could have been my new shtick. Now I'm the one that watches it. So apparently we trade off watching 205 Live because I watched it this week. And uh, I'm just very happy that they're making Drew Gulak the most important person in the world. That's awesome. 
I'm gonna have to start watching. He's basically the best part of the show, I think. There is only one word to describe you. At one point, I believe Grand Metallic said that he was going to bust the Brian Kendrick open like a pinata. And in classic Nigel commentary, they come back from the promo and Nigel goes, I didn't understand the word he was saying. <laughs> and the other guy's like, a pinata. And he's like, yeah, what's that? Like, you know what a pinata is. Oh, shit. I've never heard this word. I don't know what he means. Okay, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. I've never seen that. There's no words there. What does that mean? What is I think I might have to start watching 205 Live because Nigel's on it. So Alec, you want to talk about the episode? Of course. We start off, we get William Regal actually being a manager and not making himself the center of drama, but just delivering information that we as fans need to know. Um because Drew is hurt, they need to find a new contender for the men's championship. And he says that they're going to do basically what they always do. They're going to have an elimination tournament ending with four people in a fatal four-way. Best of luck to all the competitors. I hate that. You hate that? I think that? we all hate that. I love the elimination tournament. It, it's like, it's, it's my jam, but I hate that it ends in a four-way. I think that I don't mind the four-way because the four-way is for contendership. It isn't for the championship belt. I've had enough of actually winning belts in four-ways. Oh, yeah. I definitely don't want to see That's fucking that. over. But if they're going to whittle, you know, 16 guys down to eight guys down to four guys and then have the four guys have a big battle together, whatever. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I guess that's all right. It just, it just seems so weird because it's like, oh... I got here because I'm really good at wrestling a guy. Now I have to wrestle three guys. Tonight is going to be Killian Dane versus Trent Seven, which I wrote down is definitely going to be a barn burner. I never really put those two guys together in my head, but I got super excited about that. Yeah, I looked at it. I got confused. Then I got a little excited. Then I got confused again because I was like, they can't make this a 20 minute match. Then maybe you got a little aroused. And then I got hungry. And then I fell asleep. Cassius Ono was going to be up against the Velveteen Dream, but now he's up against a mystery opponent because in the worst news of the night, Velveteen Dream got injured at war games. Whoa. They're setting up a storyline, right? They gotta be. They have to be. A, I haven't seen on his, like, Twitter feed that he got. Like, nobody's talking about how he's injured. This is definitely a storyline thing. But still, any week without the Velveteen Dream... It's pretty rough. But, I mean, as a replacement, we get a pretty cool shadow with Frosted Tips. They have a new silhouette for whenever there's a mystery opponent. We see this silhouette a number of times. I know that this isn't the most timely reference... But it's like weird Jersey Shore wrestler. Yeah, it makes me think of a cartoon of Zack Ryder or something with like yeah. way more muscles. It's like big muscle guy, but with the most ridiculous gelled hair in the world. It's like if the Capri Sun guy, the guy on the packages of Capri Sun, like had a lot of muscles. It's like if Bart Simpson just got fucking ripped. Just like Bart. <laughs> just like Bart. <laughs> just like Bart. Take it to the bank, boys. 
This one's just like Bart. You know where they do the realistic Simpsons or whatever on the internet? <laughs> yeah, it's that, except he was getting steroid injections. Yeah, he got addicted to HGH and now is a wrestler for NXT. Yeah, and there's like 12 of them because they're just all over the place. And he's still two-dimensional. He didn't have to change that much. He looks a lot like uh, Bart. Nigel is back for this episode. Moro is like 20 times more coherent this episode. Well, I guess we're not getting any more Super Morio. <laughs> that was pretty good, right? Yeah, that was pretty good. I was working on that one for like two weeks. He still says ridiculous shit this episode, but it's all around this like happy holidays theme. The holiday season is upon us and Team Black and Yellow is bringing you a string of shows that will be brighter and more colorful than any string of Christmas lights. That, I mean, that's fun because you can be cheesy on purpose. At one point, I remember him saying season's beatings. I think that that's in the final match of the night, which was serving up season's beatings. I'm sure that was the name of some ECW pay-per-view. Oh, no, that's December to dismember. Shit. No, maybe maybe there was a season's beating. The first thing of the night is our championship celebration with Andrade Cien Almas and Zelina Vega. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Zelina Vega and the new NXT champion, Andrade Cien Almas. Yeah. How fucking Whoa. excited were you for this? I was really excited because I had no clue what they were going to do. Because, like, it, here's the thing. They act like baby faces when they win, but they're totally heels. So, like, it's going to be so exciting. You're either going to get some sort of weird over-the-top fucking, like, like a cake and, like, people singing. Or you're going to get something really weird, like, just, like, a high-energy, like, display of fun. And I, and I was kind of almost hoping that he was going to come out with, like, a full live band or something. I think that there are really, really good crowd reactions to... Zelina Vega and Andrade Cien Almas. Yeah. They're coming out and half of the crowd is losing its shit. And there the are other so half, many fists in the air. There are a ton of fists in the air. But then the other half are like double thumbs down, getting in their face, yeah. screaming at the top of their lungs. Full um, sale guy is like giving him thumbs down and screaming at his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The that was awesome. Tomato-faced dad in the front row. Yeah, that guy's great, though. I, I do rely on him to be like, okay, babyface heel. We, we definitely know, because you're either one or the other with this guy. There's no tweener. There's no tweener for, for Full Sail Guy. They're coming out to the ring. Moro has a great line as they enter that Zelina Vega should have been in Forbes 30 Under 30. Well, Forbes magazine already released their 30 Under 30. You would have to think that Zelina Vega would have been in serious contention after what she has done with Andrade Cien Almas. Jesus, everyone's younger than me. <laughs> the first thing she says is, Ladies and gentlemen, respect. Izzy's dad was super angry with Andrade Cien Almas. Yeah. But I noticed Izzy is yelling C. 
Izzy is behind Ellie Dolo. C, 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 C. I mean, I can't, you, you, it's easy to predict. Come on. Cause she's like, she's so down with the fucking high flying Sasha Banks, the uh, Bailey shit. She's so down with that stuff. He's so great at like everything she'd be into. He, this is why he's got to kind of have that baby face edge on him no matter what he's doing because, because he's so amazing. Astounding. Yeah. Yeah. He gets the mic and the first thing he yells is, I told you. Gracias, muñeca. I told you. I told you. I told you I would be the champion. I am the champion. He goes around to each of the four sides of the ring and yells at the audience. I am the champion. I am the champion. I am the champion. He repeats it so many times that I'm completely in love with it. I love when people repeat shit over and over again. I really do. And this is great. Then he starts repeating apologies to the audience he goes i beat drew mcintyre i'm sorry and then in a baby voice he goes i hurt drew mcintyre i'm sorry he will be gone for a very long time lo siento (laughs) he then cuts This really long Spanish promo. I'm not super fluent in Spanish, so I only caught like every third to fifth word of it. He acted like a babyface, but he said heel shit. To me, like the way he delivered the lines and everything were super, super fucking heel. But when he comes out and he's happy and he's holding the belt up and he's looking at the belt and he's respecting the belt and he's looking at everybody and he's like, yeah, and he's smiling, and Selena's there, and they're having a good time. This, to me, is like, that's babyface stuff. Also, because this is totally not tranquilo, you know what I mean? He's not just fucking, oh, yeah, I'm, I don't care about belts. I don't care about, you know, winning. He's like, he's actually into it, and that really made him more face to me. But the shit he was saying was brutal. Now that he's won, he gives a shit so much. And then after cutting his promo in Spanish, he does what I think is maybe the heeliest shit in the world with only half of the audience behind him. He holds up the belt and points to the audience and says, all of you, we are NXT. so what did you think of this promo i thought it was great the way that he held the belt the way that he looked at the belt the way that he walked out smiling the way that he was acknowledged people who were giving him the fist and I was like, oh, you know what? He still behaves like he could kind of be a face. Coming from him, I got a different feel. Like, I felt like, I was like, oh, he could maybe be going sort of, he could maybe be going babyface. Because, like, at least for the for his fans, he he's acknowledging the fact that he has fans. He's not the kind of heel that just doesn't have fans. 
I'm not even going to say if it was a heel or a face promo, but it was an Andrade Cien Almas promo. This is a promo that is like tailor-made to his character. He didn't give a shit about anything six months ago, and now having the belt is the most important thing in the world to him. I understand conceptually why there are some people out there who don't like that almost is getting supported they want people to boo heels and cheer faces Mm. how do you feel about that i tend to agree with that but i also feel like it's tough now because that's useful in a world where the heel is always against the face and the only time you have the same alignments going against each other it's face face and they always end up shaking hands, which coincidentally we'll see at the end of this. We're not in that kind of world anymore. And there are fa- there, there are face heel matches where you don't really hate the heel or you don't really love the face. There are heel heel matches now, like commonplace. They're commonplace. And that's not normally a thing. The indies and places like New Japan and NXT they have more of a sport style presentation to them than a like drama style presentation, which isn't to say there isn't a lot of drama, but you understand what I'm getting at. The most important thing is for people to have a feeling. The fact that half of this audience hates Almas and the other half of the audience love Almas and I'm firmly in the love almost camp, that's the real gauge. It might be because we're moving out of a culture where there are clear-cut good guys and bad guys. This is something that is going to be watched definitely the country over, also the world over, and to different people, Andrade Cien Almas is going to be different things. So... The most important thing is that whatever he is to different people, he should be the most that to that person. And the people in the audience that think that he is a, you know, egotistical asshole hate him because he's the biggest egotistical asshole. He defeated Drew McIntyre and now he's out here gloating about hurting him. Fuck this guy. For somebody like me, who see him as this, like, weird, charismatic anti-hero. Oh, I didn't like him when he was a rich playboy, but now he defeated fucking Drew McIntyre, man. He's, like, he's the man. Yeah, I could see that. He's He is what you make of him. And he's definitely that kind of guy, because, like, honestly, because of Vega, like, you would think, oh, they cheat, they're bad, but the two of them are so great together and the way that they interact with other uh with other wrestlers like the way Zelina interacted with Drew like everything it's just like you can't really hate or dislike them you know yeah i completely agree they have such a fascinating chemistry together it's really fun to see it play out let me ask you another question i saw some people online who didn't like this promo and didn't think that the microphone should be given to Almas, that Zelina should still be speaking for him. How do you feel? 
I think there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Zelina to speak in the future. I think it's great to have Zelina speak. I think it's also fine that he gave the promo because I think that he gave it probably one of the best ways possible. He yelled and repeated the same thing over and over again, which I think is fucking great. And then he delivered half of the promo in a language that nobody uh, nobody spoke, except for I'm sure a ton of them did. In full sale, I'm sure a lot of people speak Spanish. But like I didn't. Turns out there's a lot of Spanish speakers in America. So I'm listening to it and I'm like, I guess I know like, I guess I know a quarter of these words. I can't put together what he's saying. I don't know, but that's fine. At one point he said, uh, Proximo. And I was like, oh, next. He said, he said next. NXT. That's our gag. Yeah, it it is our gag. I agree because I feel like Zelina Vega should be the every week Provo. But dude just won the belt. You give him the microphone. I do kind of hope that he gets more comfortable with English and quick because I want to see a hell of a lot more of him as champ because I'm I, I, super excited to see like a run like even if it's just like three months or whatever I think it would be great yeah I think that this is going to be a really fun championship run do you care at all about Drew now yeah well I did before so I, I still I, do I, I cared about Drew might... for a week and now that Andrade Cien Almas is the champion. I'm like, who? Who's that? Oh, come on. He's who, McIntyre? Mickle Mackle? What's his name? Maggle Cole. No, honestly, I think... I mean, I'm excited to see how he comes back. Maybe he fights for the belt. Maybe he wins it, and then Almas keeps doing crazy shit with other people. Or maybe he loses, and then he just does crazy shit with other people. I'd love to see him versus... I don't know. I'd like to see him versus Velveteen Dream. That'd be fun. So after this, we cut to Lars Sullivan. He's having a press conference out by the loading docks, which is apparently where all of the press conferences happen. Sure, that's also where Adam Cole and his lackeys hang out, try to uh, seduce you. Recruit you with t-shirts. Look at this t-shirt we got for you. Chant this armband. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, he's wearing a bright yellow tap out shirt. So he looks like a big angry lemon. And he's wearing his wrestling trunks. Yeah. And nothing else. <laughs> just That's hanging great. out by the loading docks. I, I, I have to tell you, I'm really nervous that they're just going to keep doing segments with Lars Sullivan because I'm starting to like him a lot. And I don't want to. I want him to. He's the one that I want to boo. Like, I want to boo him because that's, like, great. That's that holy wrestling. You boo someone because you hate them. But I'm like, I don't know, man. I love this guy's fucking character. I love this voice he's He had probably about five weeks where everybody booed him. And now we're getting a real confused reaction because some people are like, boo i i guess but i mean he's really funny and other people are like oh lars sullivan this is gonna be fun oh yeah wait he's a bad guy damn i know he's so confusing because he's getting really good he reveals that in a week or two he'll be going up against roderick strong in the contendership tournament they ask him what his thoughts are he says strong's a hell of a competitor and he's a very handsome guy. He's also a handsome guy, isn't he? He looks like he could be on the cover of a men's fitness magazine or something like that. <laughs> I, I loved that. That was probably, this is, I mean, I'm no even gushing about Zelina Vega. This might be the best promo I've ever heard. 
This is so great with his weird fucking voice on top of everything else. After pitching Roderick Strong for the cover of Men's Fitness, he then clarifies the differences between Strong and Lars Sullivan. There are two main differences. Strong is handsome. Well, that's not me. Lars Sullivan is not handsome. He admits that. (laughs) He then says... Roderick Strong, he likes to talk about his family. I don't have a family. Let me ask you a question. What is more likely? Lars Sullivan is an orphan? Or Lars Sullivan was formed in the heart of the planet and burst forth out of the ground like a mythological creature? I think he was created by an emotionless species of aliens that can only think logically. I think he's the child of Vulcan. And that's why he's always in control. I'm in control of my emotions. That's why he acts so confused when everybody tries to fight him. I don't understand. I'm four times your size. It is not logical. He then says he's going to win the championship in Philadelphia. All Lars Sullivan cares about is getting his hands on Roderick Strong in two weeks so that the NXT championship is mine. Then he says... That's it, guys. No more questions. He starts walking away. Everybody's yelling. That's it, guys. Lars, one more. Lars, one more. One more question, Lars. He then pauses, looks over his shoulder. Everybody pulls back their microphones. This is really good. Yeah, Even the the production staff is getting in on the act. After Lars Sullivan, we get the first match of the night. It is Trent Seven versus Killian Dane for a spot in the Fatal 4-Way to determine championship contendership. This was a pretty fun match. Trent Seven puts up maybe the best possible offensive you could imagine against Killian Dane, but the Beast of Belfast just went toe-to-toe with both Authors of Pain, the entirety of Undisputed Era, and basically the entire Cosmos at War Games. Although Trent Seven gets him down, there's no real chance of getting him out, and after a flurry of devastating moves, Dane clinches his spot in the Fatal 4-Way. What did you think of this match? It was a squash that actually made Killian Dane look really good, but not in the way that most squashes... Most squashes will make a big guy look good because he'll just straight up fucking destroy somebody. But, like, Trent Seven fought back in a way that was kind of realistic and believable, And uh, Killian Dane had plenty of explosive action that kind of highlighted his style versus other big guys that made him look really great as part of his, like, this is his meteoric year. He's, like, flying through the stratosphere this year. And this was part of it because all of a sudden you can see how different he is than a big guy like Lars or something because he's just, he's going crazy. He's doing two or three moves at a time. And you never see big guys do that. And that's different than when you hear people say, you never see a big guy do this when they go up on the top rope. You do. You see big guys go to the top rope. You don't see big guys do like brutal combination attacks of like fucking powerbomb sentons or like making it look realistic that they're as heavy as they are, which is one of the things that Dane really does. And Trent Seven is perfect for this because he sells like a motherfucking king. Ever since Vader, we've gotten pretty used to a big guy doing a moonsault. Killian Dane does like six of them in a row and then puts you in a, you know, gorilla press above his head. And you're like, oh shit, he's really going to kill this dude. Nigel also did a good job. 
building Trent Seven after the match. He says, I know what a dangerous man, what a capable man Trent Seven is to be beaten that easily. This man, I think, has got to be my pick. I know Trent Seven. He is no pushover. The fact that Killian Dane won tonight, even after War Games, that is the reason that I'm picking him to win. Holy shit. Thank you for actually putting over Trent Seven at the end like that instead of just being like, well, of course he would win. He's Killian Dane. Something like that. That's a really, really great commentary move. It gets you really behind Dane. And it also doesn't make Seven look like a fucking wimp, which you can totally play it that way. Because he got, he got destroyed. It needs the support of commentary, and that's why I think what Nigel did was really good. Trent Seven comes out. I just love how much of a goofball he is, especially considering he's about to put on a really hard-hitting match. I love the way he enters the ring, where he lays down on the ring apron and slowly rolls all the way into the middle of the ring. Yeah, clutching his towel the entire way like a neck brace. Yeah. It really makes him look old and decrepit, and then he just gets up and you're like, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> As he's entering, commentary tells us that he won this shot at a house show recently. Do we like that? I'm fine with it. I think things like that are pretty cool for a smaller show like NXT, because I think it shows that things, it plays into the whole like, oh, we're we're like an old territory wrestling thing. You know, stuff happens that you don't always see. And I think that's kind of fun and cool. And it's something that, you know, we probably missed out on when we were kids. Because I don't think, I mean, if I ever watched ECW even once, I think my mother would probably take the TV out of my house. So, (laughs) I mean, I I didn't get to watch a lot of the older cool stuff. Your mom wasn't a bloodthirsty maniac? No, although she did tolerate me playing Killer Instinct in the living room, which was surprising. I also kind of like it. I don't like it for anything larger than exactly this, though. Winning a battle royale at a house show to have a match to be a contender to be a contender for the belt. That's like the perfect level of something happened at a house match. And now it's affecting what's happening on the show. You know, you wouldn't want someone to have won this match at a house show. You know, Roderick Strong shows up in two weeks and goes, hey, I beat Lars Sullivan and it was at a house show and you didn't see it. (laughs) You'd be like, go fuck yourself. No, exactly. Well, also because in that particular case, you'd be like, bullshit, no one beats Lars Sullivan. If Roderick Strong had also won a match at a house show to fight Lars Sullivan, you'd go, oh, cool. Good for him. That would be, yeah, that's acceptable. And also it kind of, it lends legitimacy to the whole thing. Killian has an entrance theme. It sounds fucking great. It's a weird chopped and screwed version of bagpipes and flutes. There's some Jethro Tull flute. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of flute. There's a lot of bagpipes. 
but it's all like at random points the audio speeds up or slows down or pitch shifts it's really good i just wanted to say that i guess yeah well i can't wait for the alexander wolf push where we're gonna hear like chainsaw sound effects and like bass guitar a lot of bass guitar so that he can keep miming that bass guitar They're all going to get their own sound effect. That They're all going to get their own specific instrument that plays over the sanity theme. That'll be good because if they ever break up, when they reunite, the new sanity theme can be all of their themes played on top of each other. Oh, it sound like total shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a woman laughing and bagpipes and a chainsaw and whatever Eric Young's thing is going to be. Just Eric Young's weird, gruff voice. Yeah, I love his voice. But I, I feel like it'd probably be like wolf howling and shit. Yeah, it'll probably know. be dogs. But I would really like if it was just like, <laughs> ah, we're sanity, sanity, sanity. Complete chaos. The way he says yeah in the middle of a match <laughs> just drives me nuts. I love him. Trent Seven's unique form of selling, he uh, really Ooh, likes so to yell things rather than just scream. And he doesn't flail. He doesn't do as much like grasping at air. Although he does do that later on in the match when Killian Dane has him on the mat. So Killian Dane hit seven with a crossbody, which they're now calling the divider, which I don't know if a crossbody needs a name. He kicks out of the pin and in his selling, he isn't just grasping at air. He's trying to grab onto Killian Dane's beard and Killian Dane like keeps knocking his hand away. Yeah. I really well, like you gotta that. Assume it's like roots growing out of a rock, right? Like you just got to assume there's no more, more stable to grab. Nigel says look at seven just grabbing for anything grabbing for that beard trying to hold on hold on to the beard as he's metaphorically trying to hold on to this match (laughs) a bit of a stretch even for Nigel no but it was great yeah I liked it actually really fun I gotta watch him 205 live (laughs) (laughs) yeah you just gotta get some more of that Nigel being a weirdo energy in your life yeah The selling that I really wanted to point out was kind of early on. Trent Seven starts off, he's trying to fight aggressively, and Killian Jane, Killian Jane, Killian Dane just absolutely plasters him. The commentary builds this as like, oh, that's a good idea. You're going up against somebody like Killian Dane, you want to get in some heavy hits as quickly as possible. It's clearly going to be a very one-sided match. He goes for the lateral press on Trent Seven, and Trent Seven is already looking pretty defeated. Seven kicks out and then very loudly yells, nope. And Seven able to wriggle himself free. He has a way of picking something that is so weird sounding that it can only sound genuine. Yeah. Like when he said, oh my God, after being kicked in the back. That was so good. I'm still remembering that. When we're talking about him now, I can't help but think back to that. He's got some quality about him. I don't know. I think he really gets it. It's weird because you have Pete Dunne, Tyler Bate, and Trent Seven. And all three of them really get wrestling. 
But it's weird because all three of them seem to really get wrestling in just a slightly different way than the other two. Mm. Yeah. Trent Seven knows how to both look like a goof and seem intimidating at the same time, you know? Yeah. He's very clearly, like, adopted the old vet role where he's, like, very confident. To wit... Nigel at one point says that Trent Seven is the artful dodger of the WWE. Trent Seven is plucky and the artful dodger of the United Kingdom tournament. I missed that. I love that. That could be on a shirt. <laughs> he should, oh, they should make shirts. Ooh. So a lot of this match is about Trent Seven attempting the seven stars lariat he finally does and takes killian dane down but it's only for a two count this is the end of the match and this is where we get what nigel ends up calling the belfast blitz trent seven attempts to put killian dane into a fireman's carry that is the dumbest thing in the world they both sold it really well because he goes down and he like comes up like he's putting all his weight into it and Killian Dane like maybe lifts his heels up off the mat. He yeah. barely budges. You can't fucking move Killian Dane. He's like 7,000 pounds. So instead of going for the fireman's carry, he bounces off the ropes lariat when Killian Dane puts him in a fireman's carry like it's nothing at all. He does this gigantic front slam. Then he does a senton. Then he goes up on the ropes and does a Vader bomb. And obviously that's the three count. What an absolute incredible showing from Killian Dane. Take a look here at the Belfast Blitz. It gets back to what we were saying before. Killian Dane, for somebody that could probably get away with having one gigantic move in his arsenal that always looks like he kills you, he has a billion. Yeah, well, that's something that you really can appreciate about him. He's just so, uh, he puts a lot of effort, you know what I mean? Into like presenting, I am going to do something that's going to show you I'm not like all the other big guys. And it definitely comes through. They're actually trying to get him over, so he can't just do the flying headbutt like Lars Sullivan, where half of what he does is just to piss you off. Like They don't fucking need to get Lars Sullivan over. He's just getting over on the, on the grace of his own voice. I can't stop <laughs> it. I want to stop it. I'm guessing we both agree that it was a good decision for Killian Dane to win. I definitely don't think that we would want to see Trent Seven going for the NXT Men's Championship. Well, not necessarily that. If Trent Seven beats Killian Dane, what the fuck do you do with Killian Dane? Yeah, especially like after War Games. You can't have that happen. That's like if Roderick Strong beats him. That would be hilarious. But then you just can't watch a Killian Dane match anymore. Is there at all a worry that they might accidentally build Killian Dane too much to make any loss convincing. No. Uh, yeah, there is a worry, but I mean, they could fuck it up, but I don't feel like they will. My prediction will be that Sullivan beats Strong, and then it's going to be a four-way that has Dane and Sullivan in it. You're going to get to see some cool Dane versus Sullivan shit, and they're going to both prevent each other from winning, and then somebody else is going to win. 
We go to a commercial. We come back and Undisputed Era is cutting a promo. They're all hanging out on lighting rigging. And Adam Cole goes, guess what, NXT? We fucking told you. Guess what, NXT universe? We told you. We told the world that we were going to run this place, and that's exactly what we've done. That's going to be the theme of this episode, by the way. It's going to be really good promos where somebody's just going, I told you. I told you once. I told you twice. I'm the best. You all suck. Kyle O'Reilly is making goofy face, and Fish is repeatedly spitting out his mouth guard and putting it back in. Adam Cole says, next week, he's taking on Aleister Black. Now, now, Aleister, you virtually run through each and every person on the NXT roster. The problem, though, Aleister, is that the people you've been running through, they haven't been named Adam Cole. <laughs> kind of makes me wonder if he thinks... His name is the source of his power, like he's Shazam. He does! <laughs> That's pretty clear. When Billy speaks the wizard's name, Shazam! Billy becomes... He's like some sort of old, like, 1700s demonologist or whatever. He thinks that if you know his name, like, the knowledge of his name grants him supernatural abilities. Adam Cole is an acronym of various Greek and Roman heroes and philosophers, and that's where he gets his extra-dimensional might. Special powers, which will appear every time you say the word Scrupa. Scrupa is an acronym, you see. I didn't ask. In two weeks, Fish and O'Reilly are taking on Sanity for the tag team belts. They're definitely going to win, obviously. Somehow, O'Reilly and Fish are more confident than I am. Fish says that they're going to bring a whole lot more than just chaos. And while he's saying that, Kyle O'Reilly. It's only Starts hitting himself in the face. He's so amped up. I love it. We, we talked a lot about Killian Dane getting a huge push for war games. Well, let's not forget the fact that Kyle O'Reilly got the second biggest push of everybody in there. With that, like, self-inflicted chair shot and all the weird chain shit and, like, all that crazy. And then at the end, opening up a steel chair and sitting on it while they wait for somebody to cut the lock. Yeah, that guy got noticed. He says, when they showed up, they shocked the system. At war games, they took the system over. And now, they will rule the system. How much do you like this fucking promo? This is exactly the kind of promo that NXT needs to have on the show to show everybody else, hey, by the way, when you want to have a confident, cocky promo, this is what you have to do. This is a great promo. Don't talk to a reporter. Look the camera dead in the eye and just go on for way too long about how amazing you are. This was a fucking great promo. The amount of confidence and comfort that these guys have on the mic the fact that they can make goofy, dumb, dumb 90s hip hop gang signs with their hands with a straight face. These guys are fucking great. I, I love these guys. Fish's mouth guard is spiky teeth. And at the end, when they do the UE gang symbol, 
Adam Cole is obviously smiling like a big goof because he's about to get his ass kicked by Aleister Black. I don't think that. Mm-mm-mm. Kylo Riley is doing his angry teenager face, as always. Teenage Twisting! Fish, with the spiky teeth and his bug eyes, looks like a cartoon mad scientist. Never send a monster to do the work of an evil scientist. I, yeah, I usually really am impressed by Bobby Fish's ability to look like a fucking nutcase. Especially since he's next to Kyle O'Reilly all the time. If you if you were paying more f- attention to Bobby Fish, there's something he's doing right. So that brings us to the second match. This is Ruby Riot versus Sonya Deville in a no holds barred match. They keep saying that Sonya Deville has unfinished business. In fact, at the beginning of the episode, Nigel hyped the Sonya Deville ruby riot re re rematch and says that ruby riot needs to get payback for her injured ankle when that's what the war games match was all about right like yeah, why are we having just, this match didn't she just literally get payback for the ankle i don't know i don't see the point of this match other than the idea that maybe they're like you guys are on the main roster now Let's introduce you to a fact uh, to a fact of life called 50/50 booking. Like I don't know. It it really stinks of 50/50 booking. This is a no holds barred match which basically means it's no DQ. So Ruby Riot is apparently going to be fucked because she can't use rope breaks to get out of the ankle lock again. They fight. I really like both of these performers, but it's a pretty middling match. And then Sonya Deville gets a rather heartless victory submitting Ruby Riot. She just gets a win by knockout. So it's like you can't say, oh, well, Ruby tapped because she didn't tap. But at the same time, it makes Ruby look like a fucking dork. What is the thinking behind having the leader of one faction lose to the lackey of another faction my thought would be that they weren't even thinking about that they were like well nxt audience might watch main roster but main roster doesn't watch nxt so there's no reason to even worry about absolution versus riot squad we don't have to worry about that at all instead let's just do the exact same match we did last week right it was two weeks ago and it wasn't this match because we still had rope breaks Yeah, but I mean, the idea, the story was exactly the same. It was like, can Ruby Riot overcome an injured ankle? And the story was yes, in both cases, because in this case, she fucking no-sold the ankle. Yeah, the entire time. Well, she started off, for the first, like, one minute after the ankle lock, I was like, oh, okay, so she's selling it again. She's really good at selling it. And when she was delivering elbow strikes, she would, like, stutter and things. It looked, it looked fine but then she started running and doing suicide dives and doing all this shit and i was like well this is bullshit i think she was pro i think that they knew i think they both knew this is like why would we have this match so i've seen some people say oh you know they were going to have more of a feud before they got called up they got called up unexpectedly 
I could see that too. If they had had a two-second promo of Sonya Deville saying, this is fucking bullshit. If she hadn't been able to get a rope break, I would have decimated her. This might have made sense. But they don't have that. Instead, they have Moro describing Sonya as Ruby Riot's arch nemesis, which just feels hyperbolic because they've only had two and a half matches after this one. Yeah, and they had one moment where they were backstage and you heard them talk to each other. Although I'm sure you were happy that she's not a punk rock princess anymore. She is not the punk rock princess anymore. Moro stumbles over his own tongue and says that Sonya Deville ragdolled the punk rock ragdoll. And, uh, well, Deville wasting little time in ragdolling the punk rock ragdoll with the... And then a couple of minutes later, somebody near the announce booth obviously overheard that because you can hear somebody chanting, punk rock ragdoll, punk rock ragdoll. Boy, that doesn't sound great. Boy, that sounds like someone who just gets tossed all over the place and stepped on and, like, put in the washing machine. Jesus. <laughs> Moro also forgot the name of Sonya Deville's faction. He calls it Absolution. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now a member of Absolution on Raw. <laughs> well, you know, they need to classify themselves as Absolution. You and I both know what Absolution means. Sure. It's vodka. Yeah. But <laughs> why would you name a faction absolution? It's not a super well-known word. And it just seems like it's made for people to be like, absolution, ab abolution, what? Well, let me ask you a question. Who's in it again? That's the one with Paige, DeVille, and... Uh... Mandy Moore. Right. Teen Heartthrob, Mandy Moore, the professional wrestler. <laughs> But I don't know. What the hell? What the hell is absolute? I, I don't know. Why does that have to do with wrestling? I think the idea is that Paige wants absolution for the sins of being kept off TV or something like that. I don't know. I'm a, I I should watch more fucking. She's on Raw, right? I should watch more Raw. I want. I I I like her. I think she's really good on the mic. There's stuff to say about this match, but it just was very underwhelming. No, I didn't I didn't like it. <laughs> so let's get on to something much shorter but much more interesting. Yes. An Ember Moon iconic duo promo. We get another loading dock news conference. You know what it is? I bet the vending machine is over. That's probably, that's gotta be why, right? Like, they just go over there for their, like, plantain chips or their thing of Pop-Tarts. They're waiting for somebody to buy a power aid so that they can be like, Hey, hey, what match are you having this week? <laughs> it's Amber Moon. She's delivering a very standard babyface promo to these newsmen. At one point, however, she says, My goal here at Full Sail is to be the best women's champion in NXT history. Which feels like a bit of hubris after literally having Asuka go her entire NXT career without losing. Yeah, it's going to be really hard to beat that. 
Are you saying, Ember, that you're not going to get called up for like two years so that you could be just as dominant? Like, I don't know. She's going to get called up and be like, no, fuck you. I'm beating the streak, goddammit. She'll put an eclipse on uh, on Triple H and say, I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs> the iconic duo show up and pretend to be reporters. They steal one of the microphones from the crowd and claim to be from the iconic times. I've got a question right here. I've got a question. William Payton, the iconic times. They're so great. They are amazing. <laughs> what they're saying to Ember Moon is they deserve a shot again because Ember Moon pinned Nikki Cross, not Peyton Royce. The entire time, Ember Moon is pulling some very good... I've had enough of this shit already face. She's just standing there and passive aggressively accepting the heel promo and being like, oh, fuck. God damn it. Okay. Jesus Christ. Get to the end already. They get everyone over that they're in the same room with. They can get. I know. Ember Moon, who I really like, but, you know, she kind of lacks some character. But yeah. they also got a completely silent pirate princess over. They get Scottish insane women over. They got Ruby Riot over. They got Ruby Riot over. Without some dumb fucking ankle story that takes three, four weeks, god damn it. Anybody that shows up in the same room with Billy Kay and Peyton Royce is gonna come out looking like a million bucks. Yeah. Ember Moon says, I'm not even gonna argue with you guys. I've already had enough of you. You figure out which one of you two is going to go after this belt. We're good. And of course, Peyton Royce and Billy Kay immediately start fighting. Who is it that I will be facing next week? Me. Me. Oh, but I'm okay. No, I... Uh, but I you wasn't like... I, because I... Well, I thought we discussed wait, it was going to be me. No, but... Because you had the... Ooh, yeah, so you had this was good. Because this, this was that thing where I was nervous. And you heard me being nervous. Because... I'm not used to I'm not used to tag teams lasting in a WWE product. I'm not used to that. You're not going to get any of that. You're going to get people turning on each other at the drop of a hat. Now, I was nervous that was going to happen this time, but they did it so good where they were like, "Well, oh, well you, oh, okay, you." And it's like they they decided. They actually decided. They did it even better than what I would have liked, which is I would have liked them to do rock paper scissors for it, which would have been really fun. You but really they, want they, to see them play rock paper scissors together. I I do. I really do. <laughs> Cuz I would love to see them both throw rock like six times in a row. Poor predictable Bart always takes rock. Good old rock. Nothing beats that. Rock paper. Take it to the bank, boys. This one's just like Bart. They have a little bit of a spat here, but they're friends, man. Like, they're gonna let some bullshit get between them. Ember Moon makes a weird joke that isn't a joke. She, they start having a fight and she goes, So it seems that uh, we have an iconic problem. <laughs> and then laughs to herself. This is a Roman Reigns joke. That isn't a joke, Ember. This is, yeah, this is a Roman Reigns joke. What, what is the wordplay there? It's the wordplay of a person who's going to be on a fucking lunchbox. Ember 
kind of has this embryonic character. I would like it if they decided her two character traits are we're going to go hard and fast with the she actually is a werewolf thing. And also she makes jokes that aren't funny, but that make herself laugh. That would be a really nice character thing to button on there. I like stuff like that. Honestly, that would be great if that was like a thing. And not every not every time she's on the mic, but maybe like every three, like one out of three times she's on the mic. She just says something that's really corny, but that doesn't even make sense. And then she just starts fucking cracking up. Yeah, that would I'd be really that. good. It appeals to me to have a women's champion who's incredibly dominant physically powerful has this killer fucking athletic move has this like never say die i will never get defeated attitude and then makes fucking dad jokes that would be great let's get on it street profits why didn't you see this coming <laughs> and everybody's like oh i i get it i mean you're making it's because their name is profits and so like they should have seen it coming. i mean like it isn't that funny man yeah. Yeah. By the way, I missed fucking Sabatelli and Moss this episode. What the fuck? Don't they have like a single watch to yell about? Oh, you're jealous of our watch? <laughs> Are you jealous of our sandwich? You can afford our sandwich. It is the ghost of Tex Avery has like fucking <laughs> possessed someone on the staff. More slapstick. More goofy jokes. Eventually, Peyton Royce goes, you know, I was the one in the match. And I feel like I should get another shot. And Billy Kay immediately goes, you know what? You're right. Just don't beat her up too bad because I want to finish her off for us. <laughs> yeah, it's, so bad. it's like, oh, I love that. They're best friends. Can we just have them like if they do get called up or whatever, could we just have them be one wrestler? <laughs> so, like you're just wrestling both of them every time. And then from off camera, Poindexter says, Get my mic back. <laughs> They're like, no, go fuck yourself. This is probably the same guy that came up with the idea to pull the microphones away from Lars Sullivan. He must be, he, he had a great night. After the iconic duo Ember Moon promo, there is a shadow. It's walking out of fog. The shadow gets straight up into the camera, but you can't see who the person's face on. And then it says, soon, but the O's are spades. Who wow. could it be? Who can it be now? Who, can it... who could so it be? So it's Shayna Baszler. Yeah, it's um, Shayna Baszler. If it's not Shayna Baszler, wow, they're really fucking fucking with us. Because, I mean, like, that's the most obvious fuck. No, it's definitely Shayna Baszler. Because somebody pointed out that the WWE hosted a photo of the silhouette that says soon. And in the URL, it has Shayna Baszler exclusive. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> this is the same shit that they do with that fucking with the takeover shit. Have you ever noticed that with the takeover shit where they do the computer code underneath? It's just literally from their homepage. It's just like the meta char yeah like yeah yeah, yeah. Shit. <laughs> there's like facebook it's meta like tags so, and shit they're so non-web savvy it's the weirdest <laughs> thing they have their own streaming service and they apparently don't know how the internet works 
they have their own streaming service and they're probably using a eight years to eight years old version of Dreamweaver to fucking make their websites. Lastly, this week, we have Cassius Ono versus four question marks. Who could it be? Honestly, I didn't know. <laughs> Cassius Ono comes out. He's still super over. Yeah, and this is for a spot in the Fatal 4-Way. There's a moment of silence. Tension builds for who his opponent is. And... I kind of hoped it was going to be Ciampa the Cayman. Who did you want to win? <sighs> who did I want to win? I think probably Ono because he's just so fucking charismatic, but I knew he wasn't going to. He's not a top guy. He's never going to get that belt. I don't think he's ever going to get that belt. I think he'll get that belt as like a transitional guy. Like he'll never get that. He'll get that belt because of respect, but he's like already flown the coop almost. It sounds terrible to say it, but I feel like he's already like, and I think I actually, honestly, I kind of hope he's okay with that because he should be because he's already had a fucking better career than like, so many people who are on that show. I wrote down at the beginning of this that if I was a betting man, I probably would have put my money on Cassius Ono, considering Johnny Gargano's whole storyline recently has been, I can't find the win. But there was this shot where Gargano and Ono shake hands before the match. And... Gargano is just a sweet little boy next to this towering Cassius Ono. And I was like, oh, I hope he wins. Gargano has this almost obnoxiously regular look to him. But something about the way that he holds himself, the way that he very subtly smiles at people where he does like that half staring off in the distance, half salute thing. Like he's really, really... He just looks like someone you can really get behind. He just looks, he comes out and you're like, I can see why this guy is like a top baby face in this show. I definitely like Cassius. Um, I would like Cassius Ono to start getting wins, but I think they build him well enough that he can exist as a mid card guy and not have it be the end of the world. Yeah, he's totally fine where he is. He's got a ton of respect. He always looks good. When he wins, and he, he has won, when he wins, he wins very well. He looks like he really gets it. When he loses, like this match, he performs very well in this match. There are some really good moments in this match for Cassius Ono. Let's talk about this match. This is a really killer match with a very nice slow build. It starts off kind of being about whether Cassius Ono, with no preparation, can get the better of Johnny Gargano but very quickly transforms into Johnny Gargano weathering these vicious attacks from Ono. Ono feeling a little weird about being this vicious. He's still a baby face. And Johnny Gargano finally finding it within himself to not give up and win no matter what. Um, not once did he really go to that dark doubtful place he's found himself in recently and he finally broke his losing streak with the gargano escape how did you like this match 
I liked it a lot. I thought that Ono's like selling of the story of the match was super good because he came out knowing that he was really good and he knew like you got the impression from his character. I know I can beat this guy. They're they're starting, they're fighting. Ono has such a clear advantage that at a certain point early on, he's like talking to the ref, he's talking to Gargano, he's saying it's over. He literally you can hear him say it. It's over. And he's like shrugging at him. He's like, you should stop. It's over. What's that look on his face? Is that concern on Cashizono's face? And then later, he gets this whole, like, transformation when Gargano finally snaps out of his, like, inability to deal with Cassius Ono, where there's a part where Gargano is just kicking him over and over again, and Ono is, like, laughing at him. Not a lot of respect behind that kick from Johnny Gargano. Is Cassius laughing at Gargano? The NXT Universe showing their appreciation. He got the impression... Oh, you woke up. Oh, this is a real big match now. Oh, I get it. With the two of them in the ring, I got the impression that it was like they didn't care that anyone else was in the building with them. And they were almost alone, you know? And it was, it, I got that impression and I really enjoyed it. And even though there were like some goofy looking spots, like the the suicide dive into a, into a DDT looked really weird to me. But whatever. I mean, like, that's fine. People love that shit. But, like, even though there was that stuff, like, there was such solid, I'm an advantage because I'm really big and strong. Oh, my God, you're really good, and I like that you're really good. Oh, you beat me, I feel bad. And then turning around and shaking his hand at the end, like, no hard feelings. It was a really good way to do two baby faces fighting each other. Ono does, like, start pleading with the ref, and the ref basically tells him, like, listen, you guys either got to keep fighting or I'm going to disqualify you as not wanting to continue this match. And Ono's like, Jesus Christ, Johnny Gargano, you're this whole match is just Cassius Ono obliterating handsome Johnny Gargano's head over and over and over again. I love also that that wasn't the turning point of the match because Gargano instantly goes for his slingshot spear through the ropes and it gets countered. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Ono is right. This match is over. And it takes a while for that to change. Gargano does the slingshot spear. I even wrote down, he's got to stop doing this sl slingshot spear. Everybody knows it's one of his signature moves. Everybody catches him out of it. Of course, later on, he got one off. And I was like, eh, I, I guess maybe not. He just needs to stop doing it early in the match. Yeah, he just I'm just so used to it not working that when it happened, I was like, huh? Because I saw it in a replay and I was like, oh, it worked? So Cassius Ono grabs him out of the slingshot spear, ties his arms in the ropes, and then just does a fucking unprotected elbow to the face. He's got to lose like three or four teeth with that one. We come back from a commercial break and Johnny Gargano is slumped over in the corner and Cassius Ono just has his boot in Gargano's face and is like rubbing in the heel. It's amazing how far Cassius Ono goes in this match because he doesn't look like a babyface a couple of times, but it's the moments when he hesitates before doing shit like that that makes him a babyface, you know? Yeah. In the same way that we were talking about 
Kyrie Sane the other week. Like, as long as you bookend it with feeling bad about what you're doing, you can be as vicious as you want and still look like a baby face. You just can't rub your heel into somebody's face and then go, I'm the best. You got to do it and then go like, come on, man, give up. Please, please give up. They both had confidence that they were going to come out looking good and that this was the right choice. And it showed. There is just this disgusting flying elbow to the back of Johnny Gargano's head. You have to be so good. Both of them, because it's like, you have to put so much trust in the fact that the other guy is not going to break your head. Please don't kill me, Cassius Ono. I know. Please He's don't kill me. 300-something pounds. He could definitely, if he fucks this up, he could really fuck up your neck. I mean, I'm sure that they've had this exact match, like, 20 times on the indies, so... And he's also got those big fat thighs, so he gets a big slap on. It sounds like he really cracked him really hard. Like, it, that, that's something. I mean, as a guy with big fat thighs, I will tell you right now, you can make some interesting noises. The commentary really does a good job this match, just constantly questioning where Gargano has gotten the energy from to keep kicking out of how gross Ono is hitting him. Percy asks it, Nigel asks it, Morrow asks it. What is Johnny Gargano's secret? Nigel at one point says, Cassius has got to be wondering what is it going to take? Absolutely incredible. Johnny Gargano refuses to lose. That's basically what I knew. He's going to win. Yeah. This match has been about him finally just deciding that he's not going to lose. He finally hits his flying head scissors into the Gargano escape and Cassius Ono taps. He is super psyched and Cassius Ono is outside. He's walking away. He looks like he's about to cry. He's like, oh, he man. looks like he's affected. Yeah. He's probably like, fuck, I had this. This guy's like three inches tall. Also, he hasn't won for the last three months. Johnny Gargano calls him back to the ring and shows him respect. They do the elbow pound. Cassius Ono seems really excited now. He's happy. He's walking away. As he's walking away, he does the international hand symbol for you're going to wear the belt. He does the two hands yeah. over his tummy. He points at Gargano. Yeah. Points at Gargano. He's like, you go win that fucking belt, baby. Could you see a Gargano Ono tag team? That's what I thought as soon as I saw this. I was like, fuck, you got to get one more guy and then you could have those two versus Roderick Strong and the Arthurs of Pain. <laughs> that would be so fun. How did you like this episode? Overall, I thought it was fine. I thought it was pretty good. I liked a lot of the out-of-ring stuff. Really loved the Undisputed Era promo. Really loved the um, 
I really love the Lars Sullivan thing. I mean, I probably loved it too much. And then I also really liked the uh, the celebration. I thought it was really fun. The celebration so, was I great. Think, the iconic duo yeah. Ember Moon promo was great. I was a little annoyed that Ember Moon, that she wasn't in ring this week because I still really feel like the longer she's out of the ring, the more like she seems like the runner-up champion after Asuka moved on. Do you understand what I mean? I actually, yeah, I think I could totally see that. They should have had a two-minute squash match with a rando and then have the iconic duo come out and heckle her. Honestly, that would have been even better. You're totally right about that. I would love to see some squashes with Ember. Ember Moon needs to be seen, like, picking people apart. Yeah, but we don't have Sarah Logan anymore, so what the fuck? Yeah, but that's what I was saying last week. They took away all of the good people. But we gotta get all the we gotta get all the May Young people to come up. Who's gonna get squashed by her? I don't know. Tanya Arcanti, right? She's free now. Are you telling me that Aaliyah isn't good enough to even take a single crossbody and take the pin? No, Aaliyah could... You're totally right about that. Aaliyah could be squashed. Yeah, absolutely. Aaliyah. And then we got two really solid matches and one kind of clunker in the middle. I mean, and it was really only a clunker because it was not necessary. Yeah. If you had never seen the other matches in this series and you watched it, it would be a competent match. It would be okay, except for the except for the minimal selling on that ankle. I would say it was pretty it was pretty good. I am not even the hugest fucking wrestling fan in the universe. As a guy who has a podcast about wrestling, I do it for fun. I don't nerd out about this shit like all the time writing about it to other people. I didn't need to see this match at all. If it was different, if it was a different circumstance, I would have liked the match. The Killian Dane Trent 7 match and the Gargano Ono match were two matches that really showed cool fun everyday wrestling they weren't doing crazy spots they were just telling a competent story and then right in the middle there was this match with two people that i really like where they just seemed completely uninterested in even being there i mean it just wasn't necessary and it really was just this 50 50 thing the one thing that i could say about it that i liked was that deville looked kind of brutal because she wouldn't break the submission until ruby Wright was out i thought that was cool So now that we've talked about the episode, why don't we talk about a couple of topics? Sure. Dream is sadly injured now. I'm guessing there are heavy quotation marks around injured, but he's injured. But obviously he's going to be coming back, hopefully sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Who do you think Dream and Black should be feuding with now? Honestly, I think they should continue the feud. I want to see Velveteen Dream take a win from Alistair Black. I don't know if it needs to be the first win. I think that's part of the reason why he's out now. Because I think Adam Cole is going to be the first one to take a win off Alistair Black through cheating. Um, But I think I'd like to see Dream continue to pursue Black. I mean, Black Black continue to be chased by Dream. I don't know. No, I like the way I said it first better. Keep that one. (laughs) Okay, I'll keep them both. Velveteen Dream is so over with every single person. He's at the top of the company, right? It's amazing. I could definitely see 
him just sitting on the back burner for a while because as long as he's on TV, everything else is runner up, right? Like, and and I love a bunch of the other people on this show. We'll get to see this Alistair Black Adam Cole match, which is gonna be I don't want to say great so much as super fun. Like I'm yes. looking forward to that a lot. I could see him continuing a feud with Alistair Black, but I kind of want to see him interacting with other people, especially considering his whole feud with Alistair Black, there wasn't a lot of wrestling. I want to make it clear that when I say that, I I just mean I want to make sure Velveteen Dream gets a win. I don't necessarily need him to be, like, doing the Say My Name shit anymore. I mean, that happened already. I don't need any more, like, I need to deeply understand you. I just want him to be like, well, fuck you. I'm going to beat you now. He should want to beat people up again. That was one of the things that made me fall in love with him, was him being like, if you don't respect me, even though I'm this crazy hypersexualized guy. If you don't respect me, I will beat respect into you. One of the first matches that really caught my eye with him was him against Sean Maluda, who I will always secretly, he's not the greatest, but I will secretly like him because he's technically from Staten Island, but he is announced as being from Shaolin. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. Nice. Wu-Tang, baby. Throw up the W. They hadn't figured out how much they were going to go with an old school homophobic gimmick for him. I'm glad that they didn't. But part of that match was Sean Maluda being like, I don't even want to fight you, presumably because... You know, he's he's creepy and sexual. He's he's the person that he is. He can only be Velveteen Dream. But he was like, I don't even want to fight you. And so Velveteen Dream just like fucking punched him in the face and was like, you're either going to fight me or I'm going to beat you up. But like, you don't get to not fight me because I might be gay. So, yeah, I think that Velveteen Dream could be with anybody as long as he gets back in the ring soon. I would love to see him wrestle some more. Is the Aleister Black versus Adam Cole thing going to turn into a feud? I don't think so. What do you think? They have so many irons in the fire with Adam Cole right now. I'd kind of like to keep him a bit more focused. One of the problems with tournaments like this is if they get into a feud, you instantly know that whoever moves up to the Fatal 4-Way is not going to win the belt because they're building a feud for him, you know? If they end up doing the Black... uh cole feud just don't have it be the next week because then i'm gonna know then i'm gonna be like oh they're gonna feud because he's not gonna win the belt i see cole winning though for sure okay that's my prediction so this brings us to our next topic how do you think this uh this title shot is gonna break down right now we have johnny gargano and killian dane in the fatal four-way for contendership right and we also have lars sullivan yeah, we have Lars Sullivan because... I mean, come on. Let's be honest here. We have Lars Sullivan. That's going to be unless, a hell of a match. Unless I start disliking NXT? Because I cannot see Roderick Strong beating Lars Sullivan? You're saying Lars Sullivan loses to Roderick Strong and you turn off your TV in disgust. I'm saying Lars Sullivan loses to Roderick Strong and these beers become much stronger drinks. 
I'm going to start. I'm just going to go get a whiskey. I'm just going to be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to need this one. <laughs> yeah, so my prediction ultimately is that I think it's going to be Gargano again for number one contendership. I feel like that's going to happen. They're going to have Gargano versus Almas again. Everybody's going to be like, oh, this is the time that Gargano beats Almas. And I think he's going to lose. I said last week that I would actually like to see a return to the Gargano Almas feud. And it just so happens they heard my prayers and put him in the running for contendership. So I'm definitely on your side. I also see a lot of good things if Adam Cole cheats to win against Black. Because nobody at Full Sail is going to like that. They're going to go nuts. Full Sail guy is going to, like, bring a weapon. I would I would prefer it if Amis retained. They are teasing me with this fucking Gargano mental shit. And I just love it. I just want it to stay. Because you look around and you hear everybody talk. You hear everybody cheer for him. You see how happy they are. And you're just like, man, they are just like, it's like when that guy pins you to the ground and like dangles the spit over your face. It's like, I'm going to make him turn heel. He's going to turn heel. He's never going to do it. But it's like, it's the, the fact that it's there, like the threat, the shark fin peeking out of the water. It's super great. It just makes me, it really gets my attention every match that he has now. And they can't, I feel like if he wins the title, that kind of goes away. Ciampa's coming back in Philadelphia, right? Oh, uh, he's due for a return. I'm sure he'll be back. I, I kind of hope it's during Philadelphia. It would actually be great. It would actually be great if he's the reason Gargano loses. Yeah, of course. That's That's what I was insinuating. Yeah, but you know what? Not everybody can pick up on subtle shit, Tristan. Some people have had in our audience probably have had three tall boys. That's what some people have probably had probably. to drink. Probably, maybe. So they probably don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's all just gobbledygook. Yeah. Well, wait, Chompa might come back. <laughs> <laughs> Tune back in next week when we find out what's next. Oh, wait, hold on. What? Nope, nope. Okay, record scratch. We're on Stitcher. Oh, good. We're now on Apple Podcasts. Fuck, all right, I can add us. Rate and review us. The three people listening, rate and review us. Yes. Oh, man, we're going to get another fan. Anna's going to listen. Please listen to our podcast. Please tell people about our podcast if you're out there. Yes. You can yeah. email us. It is Shit. what's NXT pod at gmail.com. You can contact me on Twitter if you want to primarily hear somebody ranting about politics, but also wrestling sometimes. I'm at enemy of both. I do a Sailor Moon podcast where I talk about Sailor Moon. You know, the other thing that naturally comes out of wrestling fandom. Um, and uh, it's called Under the Tokyo Tower. You guys can check us out. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're also on um, the other thing that we're on, which is the website where you may have listened to this show. Midnight Zero at NYC. Probably not, right? Probably not, guys. It's okay. No, you can go go to go to midnightzero.nyc. It's a good website. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's fun.
Tristan's on there. He posts all the time and talks shit about our dumb Wu-Tang references. <laughs> that is actually it this time. Check us out next week to find out what's next. What? NXT? ba 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 So, Alec, you want to talk about the episode? Of course. Okay. Could you tell there was an orange slice in my mouth? <laughs> yeah, why don't you say, of course, a bit? <laughs> why don't you eat that orange and then say, of course, again? <laughs> We're trying this is to different. Do... This is different than under the Tokyo Tower. We can just do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> We're trying to keep this under an hour and 45 minutes recording time, you fucking dick. You're just... <laughs> Popping oranges left and right. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I had a crazy week, so I'm just drinking and eating oranges. You live a hedonist <laughs> life. That's definitely the truth. Sure. I don't know what I said. You said, before. of course. Of course. <laughs>